Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Big Vets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the week three college football betting preview brought to you by BetMGM. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. Two weeks in a row because of the NFL without college football on a Thursday. But next week, we do. We have uh, a little West Virginia, Vatek, Coastal, Georgia State. So some, not the most exciting games, but weekday college football will be back. But for now, it's on to week three. We'll cover Friday Night Lights here in just a second and then get to a number of marquee games and just a bunch of others thereafter. Uh, even some FCS or no makes its return this week. And we'll talk about some FCS games, but uh, I'm excited to dive in. Colin, you ready to roll? Well, there's particularly one FCS game that I've really got my eye on, but to say that, you know, we might not have an exciting slate. I'm never saying that again after last week. Last week, we thought, yeah, there's one good game at the beginning. There's kind of a lull. The whole entire day was chaos. And I'm I'm wondering if that's what college football is going to be this year. Uh, you know, you and I talked in the summer about how are we going to find two other teams to go to the college football playoff. We're about one or two weeks away from thinking maybe 12 teams could go to the playoff. So I'm, re- I'm looking forward to it. I'm ready to go. What, the reason I wanted to bring back the FCS or no segment this year, by the way, is last week in week three, because week three generally doesn't look great on paper, but we have some pretty good matchups this week, but just overall. But last year you had Florida State go down to Jacksonville State in a Hail Mary. They were 28-point favorites. You had a Kentucky team as a 33-point favorite down by four in the fourth quarter against Chattanooga at home. There's going to be some scares that you don't expect. Last weekend was awesome. I'm not doubting college football this year. Also, Arizona lost his four touchdown favorites, so winless Northern Arizona team. Big step up this week as North Dakota State. But let's hop right in. We'll start with Friday Night Lights. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football. A quick caveat. I gave this on the NFL. I said this on the NFL podcast, too. This is only week three, so a lot of what we're – going to be talking about specifically. I'm I'm not really going to dive too much into advanced statistics and because there's just not a lot of data that we have right now, not a lot of reliable data. And even if you adjust it for opponent, there's just so much noise. So a lot of this, what what this comes down to is, okay, how much are you sticking to your priors? How much have you adjusted teams? What what is the spot? How do these teams match up? So we'll start Friday night, by the way, actionnetwork.com, the Action Network app. At Stucky2 on Twitter, link in my profile if you 
don't know how to find it, but you can follow all of our bets there. If you want to read the preview for Air Force Wyoming, we'll have something up. But we're going to cover Florida State, Louisville, Florida State, two and a half point favor at Louisville over under 57. This game is 730 Eastern on ESPN. You know, interesting. Louisville is an interesting case study because they looked horrendous against Syracuse in the ACC opener on the road. And then they went on the road again uh, and played UCF. The offense didn't look great, but the defense, man, did it look much. I thought it was going to be approved this year. And it started off rough. And then I think they got 10 stops in a row against UCF. The problem is uh, UCF's offense is very, very dependent on John Reese Plumley running and Louisville figure that out and just started run blitzing on early downs and Plumley can't throw it. On the other end, you know, not the team they play this week, they're playing a capable dual threat quarterback and both teams have seen dual threat quarterbacks so far this year, but it looks like Florida state's passing game under Norvell is now improved, which Louisville will have to deal with because you don't really have to deal with that much against UCF. So the question here is I've upgraded Florida state some, you know, they played Duquesne, who cares? Um, but then, you know, they've won uh, basically a road game at LSU. But what I'm trying to figure out here, great spot for Louisville at home. They play really, Cunningham plays really well at home. He's had a lot of success against this Florida State team. What I'm trying to figure out is, all right, is Florida State that much improved? Or was that more of a product of some dysfunction and injury situation at LSU, right? Offensive line situation was bad. Louisville's offense lines in better shape. They had their best defensive lineman go down to injury. They muffed some punts. So I'm a little hesitant with Florida State, with the Florida State is back take. But if this, so if this gets to three, I think I'll have to take Louisville flat three. I also might just wait to bet this live, um, like I did with Louisville UCF last week when UCF went up seven nothing. What do you see here for the Friday Night Lights primetime matchup? Yeah, it did pop at three at uh, BetMGM for uh, just a few hours. And so that was the number that I was looking for. And, uh, you know, if you use our Action Labs tools, you can set Line Watcher on a number of books and find out when something goes and you can go and hit it. And then you got the number. And I didn't know it was going to come all the way back down. But uh, I'm happy with my three. It's it's a game, you know, a loosely power rate at three and a half because we've kind of seen two different Louisville teams to this point. Uh, all the first couple drives from UCF looked like they were going to run away with the game. Some bad missed tackles, a lot of bad Louisville penalties, which this team is just cannot get out of their own way when it comes to the flags. But, you know, everyone's going to have the Florida State game against LSU uh, fresh in their memory and, and think that this is going to be, you know, the team that shows up here um, at Louisville, which is just going to have a really hot crowd. Two quarterbacks that can scoot outside the pocket. Uh, Jordan Travis, he's only had a few designed yards this season, so his runs have really been some scrambles. And, you know, tackling is the most important aspect of this game when it comes to Malik Cunningham and Travis once they get out of the pocket. And that scares me having a Louisville ticket because they're 120th in tackling so far. And Florida State's sort of mid-FBS. It's, it's 68th. Florida State definitely has the advantage with some running backs. Uh, Treshawn Ward, Trey Benson. I mean, Benson is 5.3 yards after contact. So if Louisville's not tackling, they don't have that energy that Satterfield was talking about. You know, Florida State's going to have some explosive plays. But I go back to one big thing, Stuck, and that is Jaden Daniels in the opener had eight scrambles for 109 yards. I, I love the Florida State defensive line. They got pressure. Uh, they can do things on defense. Uh, but Daniels had 84 yards after contact, 109 total on eight scrambles. Florida State is 117th in defensive rush EPA. I know it's early. We have two data points. 
They're going to give up explosive runs, and that's not good. So I'm going to take Louisville at the three. I think we will see a three pop again before we get to kick, and I might buy back live on Florida State because I I don't trust Louisville from the aspect of penalty flags, and for some reason they just go blank on tackling. Yeah, they also blew a ton of leads last year. So it was it was promising to at least see them, you know, shut down UCF and hold on to that game in the second half. Although they had to get a goal line stop, and you know they kind of just figured out. Look, I mean, they went for it at midfield and almost did give a, give away the game. So maybe those problems are still there. But yeah, and it remains to be seen if Jordan Travis is improved as a passer. But it does help that Louisville saw, you know, Plumley and Schrader two quarterbacks that are dual threat can run a little bit. So you would think that they would learn from that. By the way, speaking of which, this is kind of another fe- a potential feather in the cap of Louisville. I guess we'll just cover this game right now on Saturday before we get to the marquee games is Syracuse Purdue. Yeah. I mean, Syracuse could be one of the most, I was down on them coming in. There. They could be one of the most improved teams in the country based on some data so far and what I've seen. And one of the main reasons that I've had the biggest, kind of uh, one of the biggest turnarounds on any team so far, which could change. Again, it's only two games in, and one of them was against Connecticut. The fact that Schrader looks comfortable throwing the ball. So he was 20 of 23 for 300 yards against Connecticut, 18 of 25 for 236 yards against Louisville. Five touchdowns, no picks. And, you know, they bring in Robert Renee, the offensive coordinator, highly respected from Virginia, Virginia's offense fell off a cliff, by the way, but they, they also have zero offensive line. And another thing, another guy that they brought in who not many people were talking about is Jason Beck, the quarterbacks coach, who, who coached Brennan Armstrong. He's coached a number of other high-profile quarterbacks, worked with some NFL quarterbacks, high-respected quarterbacks coach. Uh, I was reading this summer that Schrader's mechanics and footwork were exponentially better, and he actually can throw the football now. That was my biggest doubt with this Syracuse offense that it wasn't going to fit a quarterback who can't throw it and so far he's shown a massive improvement just statistically what I've watched so that raises the ceiling of the Syracuse offense so much because you have one of the best running backs in the country of a quarterback who can really run it and uh, the defensive line is held up with that was the biggest question the back seven still a concern but Purdue can't really run the ball and so I think that plays into the hands of Syracuse. Um, O'Connell might have some success throwing against the zone, but um, I still don't think the market has caught up to Syracuse uh, and this new offensive traders improvement. So uh, I like the orange here to start off three and zero and uh, continue a resurgence at Babers a la 2018. Like he gets on the hot seat and then just has one of these, resurgent years you, you agree there right oh yeah i'm not fading syracuse this year i saw you and i put it in at the same time i was i better get this money because i think syracuse is going to be moving but one thing outside of the spreadsheets and the analytics to pay attention to louisville legitimately said that the carrier dome was so loud that malik cunningham could not tell the offensive line any changes any audibles he couldn't get any messages out to his wide receivers Purdue throws 60% of their snaps with Aiden O'Connell. And right now the Orange are 34th in coverage. But if O'Connell is not able to relay any audibles or any changes at the line of scrimmage, that works in the in the favor of Syracuse right now. And, you know, Syracuse on, the, on their offensive side, they run on 63% of downs. And with Dark Horse Heisman candidate Sean Tucker, who I, I'm convinced if he was on a playoff contending team would be up there for the Heisman. Uh, you know, they're going to be able to run all over Purdue. They're they're 66th in line yards, which is mid FBS, but that comes against Penn State and Indiana State. And Penn State's not really known for their 
heavy ground attack. Uh, I, you know, Syracuse is going to stay in standard downs all day. They're going to drain clock. Uh, Garrett Schrader has just been absolutely fantastic. The Orange are now a top 30 pass unit. I just don't think that, you know, I think that Louisville complaints about how loud it was in there. I don't think that was a fluke whatsoever. Uh, I would not back a heavy passing visitor in that building right now against a very improved Syracuse defense. Yeah, by the way, uh, Charlie Jones for Purdue, who leads the team with 286 yards receiving. I think the next best is like 50 yards. It's pretty wild. Um, he's the next Edelman. He, <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's an Iowa transfer. He has 286 yards receiving. It's more than the entire Iowa passing offense combined through two games. So, yeah, I agree there. And by the way, bas- college basketball is back in college football. You're going to have Syracuse go, trying to go 3-0 in a packed house. Duke sold out for NCAA&T at home. Duke is back. Kansas is it's 2-0. Kentucky, what, North Carolina. I mean, Indiana's 2-0. What the hell is going on? Hey, wait, wait, um, wait, wait, wait. You're not going to make any comment about the couple dimes I brought home on Arkansas is also 2-0 uh, on their 18 Arkansas. Someone brought this up. Someone said, <laughs> what about Arkansas? And I said, once you get your second national title in college basketball, <laughs> then you can uh, you know, submit your application to me. And we will, uh, us basketball school representatives, will consider you to be included in the group. But until then, you are eating lunch with the other baseball schools. Um, All right. Do you have any idea how disrespectful that is? Let's move on. Maybe you can get a College World Series one of these years. One of these years for your ring. I'm sure. I'm sure we'll see. I'm sure we'll see a future next year. Column will retire the year that Utah wins the national championship. If if at the same year that Arkansas wins the College World Series. Can we get a good woo pig suey from you? Woo pig suey. There you go. How's that? All right. Let's move on to the marquee games of the day. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week three. All right. So let's talk marquee games of Saturday. I debated throwing this one off the start we got five on the list but then i said look it starts at noon everyone's gonna be watching there's a lot of intrigue around nebraska and what's gonna go on so we're gonna start with nebraska oklahoma nebraska is a 11 and a half point home dog last i checked i think that line's gonna keep coming down wouldn't be shocked if it crosses 10 this game opened at over 15 i was tweet i was like this is crazy over under six up to 66 <clears throat> scott frost obviously gone nebraska off an embarrassing home upset against georgia southern just to start i, I love nebraska here. anything double digits is fine before the season started i had nebraska favored in this game then a week ago we talked this earlier in the week on the new bcs podcast look at line was five and now you're over two touchdowns and still double digits i think that's way too high you should get a spirited effort here from Nebraska at home after an embarrassing loss. And by the way, obviously I've downgraded Nebraska, but Oklahoma we talked about this earlier in the week. They were, they were up three, nothing towards the end of the first half against Kent state. UTEP wasn't overly impressive that that win. So like they've been better than Nebraska per, compared to expectations. But again, this is what we expected from Nebraska under Scott Frost. They just flop as favorites and they thrived in this role as an underdog. So I like Nebraska here. The, the biggest question is their defense has been abysmal. They can't tackle anybody. 
and it's just, I mean, they can't stop a nosebleed. The hope is, you know, under a new coach, some, some, one of the things that really improves when like if morale is down and when you're in a big spot is defense, which is a lot of effort. So I would imagine you get a good, the best effort of the season here from Nebraska's defense um, in a, in a good home spot, taking on an Oklahoma team that they took down to the wire as uh, last year in Norman. So yeah, give me corn here. I think this line is overinflated and uh, I don't care. Even if I, in the post frost, I go ahead and lose. Actually, no, let's win a one possession game here for the win total. Keep that on life support. Yeah. Right here. Nebraska. Honestly, it's not for everyone. I agree, but I'm going to take a different angle at this number. I mean, the look headline on this was Nebraska plus seven. My power ratings make it six and a half. So here we are. It's just all about, you know, the firing with Frost. Everything's a mess. I got news. Mickey Joseph has been in this situation before. He was the assistant head coach at LSU during 2020 and 2021. He's been through some changes like this where they've cleaned house and then he stuck around to coach it out. So at least he has experience in this scenario. Um, I think the interesting part about the defense is Eric Shenander has been moved back to coach the safeties. Uh, safety coach is moving out to corners. So a little bit of shuffling going on back there. And I'm interested to know if there's still, if Nebraska is still going to be uber aggressive with blitz, which leaves them open for explosive plays. Uh, what did Scott Frost bring to this team that dictates this spread should be so big? Did he make halftime adjustments? No. Did he help with special teams? No. Did he improve the defense, which is what why they took play calling away from him? No. But there were disagreements with Mark Whipple. Like there, I mean, you look at the conversations. There was just not Mark Whipple. I think his comments this week were, "We have conversations, and I just roll with it. I, I don't really kind of you know cause any trouble. I do my job, and I go home." There's no limitations on Mark Whipple now. And what does that mean? That means an offense that's running at about 21 seconds per play is going to be able to do whatever he wants with Casey Thompson and not have any issues. So. I think we're going to see an extremely fast game because Oklahoma's already running at 22 seconds per play. Uh, and, and so I think the over is absolutely worth consideration here. Now, the thing that leads into the bet that I'm going to make on this is Oklahoma has just disappeared from the first half against UTEP. Did they disappeared against uh, Kent State? There are still struggles on this defense. I think Venables is still working to get this team, uh, to get in the mold of what he wants. They're 79th in tackling right now. I think there's going to be a very fired up Nebraska team coming out of there. This is a huge game. And Mickey Joseph, I think, is the perfect voice that needs to be in that locker room right now. So, Stuck, I agree with you. I think Corn getting the 11 is good, even though it's come down from 15. I'll play it with you. I like the over here. But the bet I want to make on this game that I am going to make on the game is Nebraska first half money line. I absolutely think they're going to have positive energy coming out of there. And the fact that Oklahoma keeps falling asleep in the first half against the Kent States and the UTEPs of the world, Nebraska is going to be able to catch them here. Yeah, this is narrative based, but just, I mean, Frost will make bad decisions. Like it's hard to determine how much he's worth quantitatively, like negative wise to the spread. But so it's just a subjective input for me, but he would make poor decisions and just the morale. Like I would watch him try to like dap up players, watch and like they just didn't, there was just no buy-in there. So that could only improve, especially for the first game. All right, let's move on to our second marquee game of the day. BYU at Oregon. This game's 3.30 Eastern on Fox following Nebraska-Oklahoma. Oregon three-and-a-half-point favorite over under 58. Oregon's a hard team for me to get a handle on. They, you know, it's a new regime, a new quarterback in Bo Nix. Bo Nix season in full effect. And they got 
trucked by Georgia in the opener, although they moved the ball a little, you know, well, early on in that game, pretty high success rate against Georgia's defense. And then it just got out of hand. And then they played an, an FCS team. So it's like, okay, how much can I really take out of that, knowing that this was going to be a new offense, a new quarterback? So it's really hard for me to get a handle on them. And then BYU, you know, they go out and they destroy South Florida. Some worrying signs there, but they just built too big of a lead. And then against Baylor, they pick up a huge win in a, a crazy game in multiple overtimes after a lot of missed kicks. I was most impressed they did it with other top two receivers. They had another kid who came out of nowhere, got 15 targets and had a huge game over 100 receiving yards. Chase Roberts had a huge game out of nowhere. So I don't know if he, if you can rely on him again. I think, by the way, what you saw in that game is Baylor's offense is really limited from a skill position standpoint on the outside. And I think that's going to be a problem all year. Oregon, I think, is much more talented, but we have to see it in action here. You know, this BYU, that spot last week was all BYU, and they did it without their top two receivers. They still can't run the ball um, at all. And this is this just screams Oregon spot. I would I want to get three or below, but there's just a lot of unknowns with Oregon still. And we don't know if BYU's top two receivers are going to play. They've come out and said it's a true game time decision. I think they 100% need them here. I, Taki tends to be conservative with injuries to his players, so I would lean towards no, but I don't know. I've been wrong on their receivers all year. Um, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I, I, well, I feel better about after that Baylor game that I took a Baylor under and I cited the fact that they didn't have the skill position players to help shape and get over the hump in some of these games. But moving on to this one, you know, that was a great BYU spot, but Jaron Hall does not have flying off the page numbers here. I mean, he's got as many turnover worthy plays as he does big time throws. He's a great game manager. He's a, he's the leader of the offense, but there's nothing flashy here. Not like a Bo Nix who's having five TDs against Eastern Washington last week. Uh, and you got to remember this Oregon team. I know the score was bad. They moved the ball great against Georgia. They were up and down the field. They just couldn't get in the end zone. They couldn't get any points whatsoever. So, you know, BYU is off travel to Florida, big old physical game against Baylor at home. Now they're for going into this kick, which is what, 1230 local time? I mean, are, are they going to be awake? Are they going to be ready for this? Uh, and you're right, Gunnar Romney, Puka Nakua, they're, they're, they, the word is they look a lot better, but they're considered day-to-day and they're game-time decisions. Uh, you know, that's bad news. BYU needs them. Oregon does not have a single defender on the defense that has forced an incompletion yet this year. That back seven is been a little soft with the schedule they've had so far. I know Georgia's tough. Uh, Stetson Benham, uh, Stetson Bennett tore him up, but uh, you know, they didn't even have uh, a forced incompletion last week against Eastern Washington. So, you know, even if BYU doesn't get their two best receivers back, Chase Roberts should have some more explosive targets in there. I love the over in this game. It's been a little bit stagnant. I can see that everybody else is on the over, but when you look at Oregon and BYU on defense, 13 of 17 opponent red zone attempts so far have ended in a touchdown. These teams are letting everybody score a TD. Uh, both of them are terrible uh, defensive finishing drives right now. Um, so, you know, this is a thing where I think Bo Nix, who has crazy home road splits, like a baseball pitcher, like a Coors Field baseball pitcher. He's just got crazy home road splits. We'll see if that works out at Autzen. But they're going to have more explosive players on the outside. They're going to have more explosive plays down the field. I'm not sure this BYU defense doesn't come in tired or not ready for a 1230 game, 
but I like the I like the over here. If I feel like BYU is not going to hold up their part, I'll try to get out of it live. You're right. Oregon is the side. It's the spot. And if and if BYU doesn't have their top two skill position players, then they're just going to get run out of Austin. Yep, I agree. All right, let's go from Bo Nix's new stomping grounds to his old in Auburn. Penn State travels to Auburn. Auburn is a three-point home dog here. This one is its tough for me to get a hang on. This is obviously a rematch of a game last year in Happy Valley when Penn State pulled it out 28-20. to 20. Auburn here, look, I don't trust either one of these quarterbacks at all. I don't trust Sean Clifford and TJ Finley. I am a known, I've been very vocal that I do not trust him as far <laughs> as I can throw him. He's played Mercer and San Jose State this year. He's thrown one touchdown and three interceptions. Uh, that's bad. And I, I don't trust Clifford. So basically what I think this comes down to is and look we saw Penn State they put a Mac team last week and then against Purdue I was not impressed they just a bunch of flukes like in the if you take out their two minute drills where they outscored Purdue 21 nothing they were outplayed in that game so what I think this comes down to and Purdue doesn't have a running game Ohio's not going to run it against Penn State so it's like all right how much is the Penn State run defense which had some trouble last year and the strength of their defense is clearly the back right they have some some guys in that secondary. So I don't think TJ Finley's going to have any success throwing the ball. And it comes down to Ken Auburn, which has one of the best running back duos in the country. Can they have success on the ground against this Manny Diaz defense? If they do, I think that Auburn's the side. If they don't, then you can kiss Auburn goodbye. Um, the more I think about this game and talk about it, it's like, I, I, I'm, starting to potentially look at the under um, with both of these quarterbacks. But um, what are your thoughts here? My brain has been stuck on the fact that Manny Diaz has come in a defensive coordinator and Penn State right now is 129th in tackling. That's, that's not what I thought I would expect out of this defense right now, but you're right. The, these two teams were pretty evenly matched last year. I believe uh, we had a point spread of like five that Clifford covered in the very last second. And when Auburn went up there and right now I project this game, um, you know, for Penn state to be a one and a half point favorite. So I obviously think that there's value on the Auburn side. There's a three and a half out there. It's juiced. I'd probably go and sweep that up. Uh, and I'm talking myself more into it today for a number of reasons. This game is going to be based upon the success of tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter on the ground. Their passing downs have kind of been a crapshoot. Everything Stucky just said about TJ Finley is correct. Uh, the INTs, the, the turnover-worthy plays. Robbie Ashford just has a handful of attempts. He even threw an interception against San Jose State in three dropbacks. So, uh, you know, Tank Bigsby, he wasn't really tank-like against San Jose State. He only had 2.7 yards after contact. And the Spartans had just, I mean, they were loading up in the box, so I get it. Maybe they were selling out and going up against the run, just forcing TJ Finley to throw against him. Uh, you know, Jarquez Hunter had a little bit more success running the ball in eight times, but I mean, that's what Penn State's going to do too, though, you know? Yeah, they are. And, and, you know, Penn State, the other handicap is Sean Clifford. We talk about how he has improved his game and his decision-making under Mike Yurcich and the Auburn front seven, they're going to shut down the ground game. They they have shut it down in the last two wins. They were able, you know, they're going to be one of the best SEC front sevens against rushing attacks this year. So it's going to be the Sean Clifford show. 
Auburn right now is 35th in coverage grading. And so you have to go keep tabs on Michael Tinsley, who transferred in from Western Kentucky, and Keandre Lambert-Smith. That If Penn State's going to win, it's going to be because of those two. So then you go back and you look at Auburn's corners. Uh, Namaya Pritchard, he's already, I mean, he's a top-tier NFL draft pick at corner. He's already got a few, I think, three forced-in completions, one of the highest rates in, in, in FBS. And then uh, corner Keontae Scott, I mean, he isn't too far behind. He's been targeted eight times. He has a forced-in completion. So, I think Clifford's going to be neutralized. I don't think he's going to be able to make that play that he made last year. His average depth of target is down, and neither of his wide receivers are more than two yards per route play. They are not have not been explosive whatsoever. So I think you're right on the under. I think Auburn is the play for me. They're going to have more success running the ball than I think Clifford is trying to use get to his wideouts with those two corners. Yeah, I would agree. Auburn at plus three, it's it's Auburn or nothing, and and maybe the under. I don't trust Clifford on the road, but if they're if Auburn's run game gets shut down, it's it's lights. So let's uh, yeah. old Bo Nix season at home. By the way, Bo Nix, we always talked about Bo picks on the road and Bo Bo Nix at home, home Bo Nix, uh, who was always loot at home. He's at home now in Oregon. Maybe that translates uh, to Autzen. All right, let's move on to our fourth marquee game of the day, and we'll shift to a little later the night, nine p.m. East. This game's at nine p.m. Eastern, Miami. At Texas A&M, Texas A&M six-point favorite over under 44 and a half. Totals come way down. I can't believe this game's at 9 Eastern. Um, I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Texas A&M obviously off a embarrassing loss to Appalachian State at home. They were 17, 18, 18-point favorites, and they lost. Their offense looked pathetic. They scored 14 points, which included a kickoff return for a touchdown. This, to me, I mean, Miami hasn't looked great either, but they haven't played anybody. So it's like, all right, we have a new offense, we have a new staff. They played Bethune-Cookman and then Southern Miss, and they didn't look great, but I doubt that they were showing much. You know, these are two conservative coaches. I think the Texas A&M defense, which is excellent across the board, will show up prime time here in an electric atmosphere. After that loss, you could count on that defense. By the way, these are two conservative, generally speaking, offenses. So I, I completely agree with the total move down. I might dabble with the under, but at 45 is a key number. Would want, a, you know, 45 or more. So I'll see if that moves back up. And look, Texas A&M, their offense sucks. We know it. They could be, get, they could be getting a little healthier across the board. I think offensive line, some guys on defense back as well. It's hard for me to get a read on Miami so far this year. We saw what Van Dyke did last year with that offense, but it wasn't against defenses, SEC caliber defenses. And it was with an old offense. So there's still a lot of questions with the Miami offense, a lot of questions with the Texas A&M offense. There's even questions. I'm hearing rumors that they might make a change at quarterback this week. We'll see if Max Johnson, the LSU transfer, gets the start. I'm not a fan of any quarterback they have on the roster. Right. not a fan of the, their offense. Um, so, yeah, this is, this is the spot is Texas A&M all the way after that embarrassing loss. Miami trying to, you know, break in a new offense, hasn't really faced anybody yet. So it's like, holy shit, we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to a college station at 9 p.m. Eastern and Texas A&M is off a loss. So um, to me, I would want, if, it's, if it's, it's Miami or nothing, it's seven or above, but I expect Texas A&M to come out with their hair on fire and Miami might be a bit shell-shocked. They might you know, you might get your crystal ball just trying to run it, which is not going to work against Texas A&M. And then if Texas A&M gets a lead, they're just going to 
go super conservative mm -hmm. as they normally do. So I might look for Miami live here um, after what I expect to be a fast Texas a and start in a great spot. Um, I saw you late it today. I can't, I yeah. can't, I'm not, I'm not laying points with Texas a and right now against Miami. So it's a, I think it's a pass for me pregame. My best, strongest pregame pick as of right now where the line stand would be under if you can get 45 or above. Now I did write a game of the year content back on May 13th on action network that said, take Miami plus nine. That's a great game of the year. It's not going to be that high when we get to game week. So congratulations if you got that number, but now you have the chance to buy back in Texas A&M if you want it, or you can just take the side or you can do what I think should be done, which is take a Texas A&M first half. And when you look at Jimbo Fisher, he says there's going to be changes. Do I believe him? Not really, but does that mean there's going to be a quarterback change? Max Johnson, Haynes King, got to get them outside the tackles. You got to get their legs involved here. You got to get them out in space and create an extra man. So we'll see if that happens. Uh, He's not going to do that. He runs his old pro style outdated offense. Uh, Listen, I started calling my wife Jimbo this week because she has piles of paper all over the house. And that's what it looks like when Jimbo's trying to call an offense, you know, I hey, don't just support. You know what I'm saying? There's no reason to be nasty. Like, will you hand over play calling duties? He's like, nah, maybe if it benefits the team, maybe you're not going to hand over play calling duties and you're not going to change your offense. But you know, Johnson has wheels. I mean, he he's we saw him at LSU and and, and Haynes King runs a four five forty. So if they don't get these guys outside the pocket and quit reading uh, defenses and making them check down to a fourth target, you know, a tight end or whatever. I mean, these guys just can't run this pro style offense. So, you know, I I think they're going to do something different. We'll see what it is. I don't know. Line up, line up a Shane and the Wildcat with Anita Smith. I don't know. I definitely think that they can overpower that front seven of Miami. Now, Miami's had two very slow starts. They trailed Southern Miss until there was 20 seconds left last week. Oh, by the way, Southern Miss had a backup quarterback. Uh, against Bethune-Cookman, the Wildcats uh, themselves had a 10-play drive that resulted in a field goal to start the game. So Tyler Van Dyke, I mean, he's been shaky at best when throwing the ball. He has three turnover-worthy plays so far. He's just got a single big-time throw. And more importantly, what, what, what boggled my mind is that those three turnover-worthy plays came in clean pockets. Uh, he was not pressured whatsoever. They are going to get running back Jalen Knighton back. He's 100%. He took all the practice reps this week. He had eight TDs last year. It's a really big discount on the line, uh, you know, when you consider what the game of the year was uh, in favor of Texas A&M. I like the Aggies in the first half. Maybe there's an element of doing stuff that they've never seen before. But I go back to this that I said preseason. This is not the trench that Crystal Ball wanted on both sides of the ball. And Texas A&M is bigger. They're stronger. Texas A&M is it. I would stop buying it at six, though. Uh, this is uh, I think that's getting a little bit too high. And there's going to be sharp buyback on that seven from Hurricanes uh, investors. Yeah, I'll probably buy a seven. It's a seven. Texas A&M might get their center back. Bryce Foster, who was an yeah. all SEC freshman last year, but he's coming back from mono. Like, I, I don't think he's an apparently he's going to split spin snaps potentially. And I don't even know. He's definitely not going to doubt he would play the whole game. And that might even be a negative. Like their offensive line, by the way, they've been good in pass protection. And this is how pathetic the Texas A&M offense was last week, by the way, against App State, an App State team that gave up 14 trillion yards passing the week before and couldn't stop anybody. Last week, Texas A&M, I'm going to pull up the exact stats. Haynes King was 13 to 20 for 97 yards. 13 to 20 for 97 yards. You got some freshmen on the offensive line, right? They give up three pressures. That's it. The whole game. They were great pass protection. The App State wasn't getting pressured. Haynes King had a clean pocket the entire game. Threw for 97 yards against App State's defense, which lost like a couple of NFL players and was supposed to 
get worse. Three total pressures. I, I don't know what to say. So, yeah, you get your all-SEC freshman back maybe off of mono. That, that he's in full game shape. Um, but you got, you know, you're left. The, the, the run blocking has been awful. They can't get anything on the ground. So, yeah, the spot is Texas A&M, but I'm not doing it. All right, let's move on to our final game, marquee game of the day. Fresno State at USC. USC 12.5-point favorite over under 73.5. 73.5. It's sky high. Uh, I'm I've just to me, it's this is Fresno. Um, <laughs> yeah, a USC, I have not been impressed by their offense, has been great, yes, and they've scored. We all knew that, and their defense, which was the biggest question coming in the year, is I've downgraded it, and I thought it was going to be bad. It's looked awful. Uh, we had Stanford last week, should have been an easy cover, mm-hmm. sadly, it wasn't. Uh, Stanford turned the ball over inside the 10 twice. That's all USC has done all year on defense. The only thing they've done is generate turnovers. Uh, and Rice threw a bunch of pick sixes, like three or four pick sixes. Yeah, Stanford turns it over. Yeah, Stanford turns it over inside the 10 twice in a row. Uh, Stanford just went up and down the field the entire game. Jake Hayner and Fresno have a better overall offense. Hayner's done this on this stage before against UCLA, and uh, I, I'm – Taking the 12 and a half here. If there's more fluke turnovers and USC wins by 14, Stanford's still had a chance to get in the back door there. But if, uh, you know, they lose by 14 to 21, a fluke turnover is fine. But USC, which leads the country in turnover margin now, it, that's not going to, with a bad day, is not going to persist. And uh, yeah, so I think Fresno can hang with USC. I don't think that they'll get a ton of stops, but that's why the total's 73 and a half. This has shootout written all over it. And on top of that, with 12 and a half, if you're down 14, 17 late with Hayner, I'll be tweeting uh, what this game starts at what 10, 10, 10 30. Yeah. You'll be, you get, you'll be getting a drunk midnight, one in the morning tweets of doors. You can always come in my back door. Yeah, the, the USC vibes are giving me Notre Dame from last year when I had that season win total under nine and Jack Cohn was uh, just pulling things out of his rear end and uh, the turnovers always favored Notre Dame. So I'm starting to get that vibe from USC. It's another inflated point spread for the Trojans. This is a game I make seven, four turnovers last week from Stanford. Like Stucky said, two of them were on their first two drives. Those resulted in immediate points for USC. The Stanford rushing attack went for 221 yards and 4.9 a carry. You say, why is that important? Because Jordan Mims is just as good as Ronnie Rivers was last year. He's averaging 3.5 yards after contact. Uh, He had some explosives against Oregon State, and I think he's going to do the same here. But the bread and butter of the Fresno State offense is Jake Hayner. He had a clean game against the Beavers, no turnover-worthy plays, and 51 dropbacks. Uh, He's not going to be scared in this spot. I mean, he's already traveled down to L.A., played UCLA, and won that game. So, uh, you know, USC, they might have some issues against explosive plays. Right now they're 108th in uh, in defense and defending uh, and rush EPA, expected points. 89th and defending explosiveness and passing down. So if you think Fresno State at third and 13 can't pull off something, um, you know, big, uh, they, they will and they can. It's going to be some good late night viewing. There's certainly going to be some issues covering Jordan Addison and Mario Williams from a Fresno side. Uh, you know, their finishing drives rank is outside the top 100. That scares me a little bit because you read the Cal Poly play by play. Fresno is going to give up some points here, but 
they're going to be able to score and keep up. I mean, this was the handicap on USC through the summer. These offenses can put up points and try to stay near USC. The question is, are they going to benefit from turnovers to actually cover the spread once again? It's hard to recommend taking an over, especially when you get up to this. Uh, there's not that many key numbers, you know, from a percentage perspective. So Fresno State's the play. I would say take the over. It's one of those ones where you're just going to get a flurry of points. And if you want to go under like a 90 or 100 or whatever you can to make a window for fun, uh, I think I'm, play- I'm playing Fresno all the way. I'll enjoy a little bit on the over. Uh, hopefully they pull it off outright because I've, I'm holding a USC under nine and a half wins. And uh, at some point I need this, uh, I need this Lincoln Riley love boat to come to an end. Jalen Cropper national coming out party. Uh, three touchdowns I'm calling for. All right. Before we continue, as a reminder, the big bets on campus podcast is proudly presented by bet MGM. So kick off the new pro football season with the king of sports books. Sign up with BetMGM using bonus code ACTION200 and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Michigan, Mississippi, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Puerto Rico, Tennessee, Virginia, Washington, D.C., West Virginia, Wyoming, or Ontario only. Must be 21 years or older to wager. 19 or older in Ontario. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. D.C., Kansas, Louisiana, Nevada, Wyoming, or Virginia, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 1-800-GAMBLER in Indiana, Maryland, New Jersey, or West Virginia, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York, call or text the Tennessee red line at 800-889-9789 or 1-888-777-9696 in Mississippi. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, and Utah, and other states were prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. All right, let's move on to the rundown. Cover a few other games here. We talked about Syracuse Pitt already. Tulane, Kansas State, just a couple sentences there from you on that one. Kansas State, 14-point favorite. Threads come down a little bit. Totals come down a little bit. Tulane, I've loved coming into this year. I don't know if I can take just 14. A little worried about the trenches. Yeah. Stopping Deuce Vaughn. Tulane hasn't played anybody yet. Yes, they're 2-0, but they played uh, just little sisters of the poor two weeks in a row. And Kansas State's defense might be legit. It's one of the most impressive units so far, especially when you consider they played Missouri. Missouri scored a touchdown. That's true. But they scored a touchdown on the final play of the game that was untimed. Before that, it was 40-6. to Kansas State shut out South Dakota before then, 34 nothing. So without that untimed down, they would have been holding teams to three points per game through the first two. And that includes an SEC team. But Kansas State's defense looks legit. They're not throwing the ball down the field, though. Adrian Martinez is one deep attempt all year. Um, they really haven't had to. I don't know if Tulane – Tulane might be overmatched in the trenches. I love Tulane, but yeah. I don't know if I can take 14 here. Is this a pass for you? Well, first off, you insulted Little Sisters of the Poor because Tulane's played UMass and Alcorn. That's way worse. Uh, so, you know, you can't really look at Tulane's numbers here or else they look like they're going to win the national title. But you're right. Kansas State is just plowing teams. That's, you know, completely in the eyes of their coach and the image of what he wants. Uh, they run the ball 62% of the time. Uh, they're 25th in line yards. They're 7th in rushing success rate. Deuce Vaughn is having a great season again. 
Adrian Martinez has a few fumbles. Come on. Um, I, I think you have to ask, can, can, can Tulane offensively with Hall, uh, are they going to be able to explode against Kansas State? You know, so far, so good for Scotty Hazleton on that defense. They're top 20 in Havoc. They're top 20 in line yards, finishing drives, and they're fifth in coverage. And I get it. Missouri's, you know, in there with the little sisters of the poor. But, yeah, and this will be their toughest test today. But you're right. Kansas State can absolutely control the trench on both sides of the ball. And that gives me serious pause on a number that's 14. So I think Tulane's the play. And Kansas State has overlooked to Oklahoma. So I think this is one of those things where it's like, two or three scores from Kansas state. Maybe I take two lane live because they're going to play the full entire game. If Kansas state's got OU next week, they might not. So I think that's the way that I want to play it. That's a good angle. I might look at two lane live as well. All right, let's move on to Michigan state, Washington. I think we might have a disagreement here. Washington three, three and a half point favorites here. Uh, Look, Washington, you can't really say a ton about Washington so far. If you just say like, look who they've played. Over under here, 56 and a half, by the way, it's risen quite a bit. But I came into this year super high on Washington. And I love the coaches. That's the reason why I bet one of my favorite win totals over. I love the reunification of offensive coordinator and Michael Penix, who just thrived under the system in 2019 of DeBoer at Indiana. He's looked great so far. The offenses look great so far. I know it's been back competition, but this is a team that lost to Montana in their home opener last year. When you look at what Michigan State has done, I, I've not been impressed at all. Yes, they, they crushed Akron. Great. But if you look at that Western Michigan game, close in the fourth quarter, and West Michigan was starting a freshman for the first time, and they lost you know, an NFL receiver. They lost some key pieces from a defense that wasn't supposed to be good. So then I say, hmm, you know, the Michigan State gets a couple of fluke touchdowns late in the cover, and which added to their yards, by the way. So then I say, all right, maybe Western Michigan is a little better than I thought. And then Western Michigan, which sucks for a win total because they won, got yeah. thoroughly out, thoroughly outplayed by Ball State. It gave up seven yards, 6.8 yards per play, only averaged like 5.3. Ball State's quarterback making his second start looked awful at Tennessee. They got shredded by Ball State, shredded. So I was like, wow, that's not great that Michigan State was struggling. Michigan State should have ran through them like a hot knife through butter. And Washington, on the other hand, teams that they've played you know Portland State team that almost won it should have won at San Jose State and Kent State they just buried them which is what Michigan State should have done to Western Michigan early so I think there's some problems here there's some injuries on the defensive side of the ball their best offensive player Jaden Reed might not play I don't I can't get any intel on that um I'll try to get some (laughs) if uh so I'll try to get some today or tomorrow um from some people that i know in east lansing but i haven't got anything there yet um but i love this washington team i did i can't like three and a half it's someone people other people in the market must love them i, I thought i had washington favored if you would go read my write-up in for my win total i had washington actually favored in this game i know you didn't you were but i'm lower on michigan state and much higher on washington i also yeah. love the new defensive scheme change um and there was just a lot of talent on the, they, they were like the, my giants of this year. Like the, they were, there's some talent that wasn't being utilized correctly because of the coaching. And that's one of the reasons why both win totals, but I think both win totals are like six and a half to six and a half minus. I think they were the same win totals, the same price too. So yeah, I like Washington in the spot and I just want three. They'll be in my round Robins. It's all about the Huskies for me, but I bet you're going to make a case for Sparta here. 
Well, I actually have Michigan State minus one, uh, but there are things that concern me. You mentioned the injuries, Darius Snow, Xavier Henderson. Those are two extremely key pieces out of the defense. They were two of the top four tacklers last year, and they were really the patrolling of the back seven uh, and passing down. So it's a really big part of Michigan State's defense that's not going to be there. That's not something I really want a part of when Penix is just looking like all Pro Bowl, you know, under Kalen DeBoer. Like going back, Michigan State still doesn't have a secondary, by the way. Michigan State still doesn't have a secondary. So that, you know, me saying the projection is Michigan State minus one, I'm taking into the fact that, you know, they do not have two of their key pieces in their secondary. Uh, So, you know, a fully, a full strength Michigan State, yeah, I'd be behind it all the way. That worries me. Uh, and then when you step out a little bit further, this Jaden Reed thing is odd, right? I mean, Mel Tucker at the press conference says he's sore. That's all it is. Well, when's he going to play? Uh, he will so- he will play when he doesn't f- when he feels like he's ready to play. That's the most obtuse thing I've ever heard. Like Jaden Reed is not just important to the explosiveness of the offense, but he's important to kick returning and punt returning. Uh, he is somebody that can take it back. Uh, especially Washington's not had great special teams so far in, in their ranking, so. You know, Jaden Jalen Reed. If he he is not playing in this game, then like for me, it's I I wrote it all up on Action Network. I said Michigan State at plus three and a half as a buy. I think Washington. I agree with you that Washington is going to win this game, but at some point there is a win a, a part when you buy Michigan State. I think that number's three and a half. I wouldn't buy Michigan State at three. You know, if Jalen Reed doesn't play, uh, all bets are off. I don't think the Spartans can win this game. Then there's worries about Peyton Thorne. What the heck is going on? He's got happy feet. His mechanics are different than last year. He is not in sync with any other wide receiver except Jalen Reed. So that's how important uh, of a piece Reed is to this game. Uh, So even though I think three and a half is the buy point on Michigan State, I absolutely think Washington is winning this game. I don't know by how much. The market is screaming Washington is winning this game. Again, don't know how much. I think Washington wins this game, but you're not going to buy Michigan State unless it's at three and a half and Reed is going to play. Huskies, baby. I'm going to be betting them all year, so get used to it. The last rundown game, Mississippi State, LSU. Mississippi State here is a two-point favorite. They have looked outstanding through two games. They just absolutely shredded Arizona. One of the most impressive parts about their offense. By the way, we were on this win total over two. I was extremely high on this Mississippi State team. The defense, we know it, fucks, and was one of the most experienced in the entire country. Their offense, third year of a leech offense with Will Rogers. It's all it's all about continuity and timing, and they've had it. And they lost a couple of receivers. They're spreading the ball out beautifully. The question was along the offensive line. The only starter they had that is still playing his same position as he did last year. It's a center. It's a damn good one, and he's looked great. And you know he does all the calls and you get the ball out quick. But the offensive line has looked tremendous. I thought way ahead of the curve. So Mississippi State even better than I thought. And now you're going up against an LSU defensive line that doesn't have their best player who's out for the year after uh, Smith celebrated just an unfortunate injury in the opener. And an LSU defense that has weakness at linebacker, not good when you're playing the leech air raid. And new pieces in the secondary, not good when you're playing the leech air raid. I assume LSU won't come out here and try to play man press like they did when they got destroyed at home by leech early in the season. They had a better game plan. Last year in a victory, I think they won 28-21. This number doesn't have a ton of value, and there's still a lot of uncertainty with LSU. But I think Mississippi State wins this game. But at this price, it's probably a pass. But if LSU goes up 7-0, I'm coming yeah. on the state. 
Yeah, yeah, that's exactly. I'm I'm at a pick on this game. I, I think if you can get a score out of LSU to start, you're definitely going to buy Mississippi State. I'm not sure if I want to lay like a juice minus 130 on Cowbell when I might be able to get better. One of the big differences in this game is the rank of special teams. Mississippi State coming in and SP plus rankings of 40th LSU at 112th. So an advantage there that could really affect a game that's a pick. Uh, when you look at LSU, they're going to have to try to do something about the air raid dink and dunk. Uh, Will Rogers playing, you know, exquisite these days. They're 10th in finishing drives. They're getting every single scoring opportunity into the end zone. Uh, they're third in passing success rate. They Usually it takes a while for the air raid to get in sync. They've been hot the entire way. So LSU is going to have to deal with that. If Daniels is not, you know, he, he might not have to scramble out of the pocket because of how poor Mississippi State's rush is. But LSU is actually running the ball pretty well. They're 13th in success rate, rushing the ball, 16th in line yards. So the offensive line is coming together. And I said this when I saw the Florida State game. That's the worst game they'll play all year, especially from the offensive line perspective, since those guys have never played together and they're all young. They're just going to get better every single game. Now, can they win this? There's a lot of intangibles, including special teams and tackling that very much favor Mississippi State here. But I was stuck. It's a pick game. I would love for LSU to get a score. I would love to get at least a field goal live. Not sure before the game I'm going to take Mississippi State minus 130-ish on the money line. I'll probably play it live. Yeah, I make this uh, Mississippi State minus three. And, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a tall test for the LSU offense. And LSU offensive line obviously looked better last week. They played Southern. <laughs> little little different task here playing playing a top 15 defense uh in Mississippi State. All right, let's move on to our next segment. And it's a quick one, 30-second segment. It's Colin giving us a free winner on the San Diego State total. You were wrong or right for us again last week. San Diego State, Utah over under 49. You have a 15-second clock over or under and why. Yeah, you're gonna have to take an over in this game. Aztec overs. San Diego State overs are back. You want to know why? Because Utah's finishing drives right now is 126. Florida scored all day. Teams are just going down the field on Utah, and they're getting points up on the board. Now, not very often. Utah is one of the best teams in the nation. You know I love them uh, to win the Pac-12. But yeah. All right, that's it. it. That's all you got. Although there is a general requirement of brevity, most people think that we are being briefer than we are. That's all you got. Colin ah. says... San Diego State overs, overs are back. He went under in game one with San Diego State that went over. I want to buy it right now. He went over in the second game that went under, and now he's going over. So you heard it here first. San Diego State, Utah, under 49 and a half. We have three teams that pulled off upsets at 17-point underdogs last week, like Marshall. Now they're 17-point favorites. App State, now they're 12-and-a-half-point favorites at home. Who also? Georgia Southern, Washington State against Wisconsin. And now they're 17-point favorites. If you go back, since since 2005, teams have gone 39-25-3, and 61% against the spread after pulling off an upset as 17-plus point underdogs. Shocking to me. I thought it would be the opposite after uh, against a ranked opponent. And they're 17-4-2 against the spread, 81%, when they're a favorite of at least a touchdown the next week, which tells me the market might not – adjust enough how good these teams might be compared to priors. So it's up food for thought for App State against Troy, for Marshall against Bowling Green, and for Washington State against Colorado State. At Colorado State, offense, it's a mess. Their offensive line is a disaster. They've now lost both tackles. Just a, a ridiculous situation there, and they're transitioning to an air raid, which is never easy. Any other games I wanted to mention? Wisconsin under, which is coming down. Now, we talked about that last week before the openers with New Mexico State unders for life. 
South Florida. We're going back to well plus 24 and a half, by the way. Is Rice, Rice going to uh, beat ULL outright? <laughs> all right, let's move on to my favorite segment. It's back. FC, yes or no? Southland or SEC? Big Sky or Big Ten? It's time to play FC, yes or no? Spend a couple minutes here talking about a couple FCS, FBS matchups. I got a couple on my mind that I'll mention real quick. Kentucky against Youngstown State. Stoops is, does not cover these games. Horrible spot. Kentucky's, up, you know, they they don't have a tough game on deck, but they they got injuries. They're already dealing with Rodriguez. Still won't be back. Their offense is still broken. They only had like 270 yards against Florida. Youngstown State's been feisty in these spots. And by the way, Stoops almost lost to Chattanooga last year in a similar spot. You have the Florida letdown. He almost lost to Eastern Kentucky twice at home. They they went had a one win in overtime. They came back from fourteen down back in twenty fifteen. So I think Kentucky just wants to get get up, sit on the ball, be conservative here, work on their run game. Youngstown State can be feisty here. They have a really good running back that they can lean on. He's a pro prospect. I think his name is McCullough. And, and Stoops has ties to Youngstown, the city, and the program, which is I think why this game got scheduled uh, for the payday. So uh, I don't think he's going to run it up here. I'll be looking at Youngstown State plus, and then maybe second half. Also, Arkansas taking on Missouri State. <laughs> I will be on Missouri State if this number what? comes out where I think it is by 100% by far. I wrote this game off. Missouri State is going to threaten Arkansas in this game. What? Missouri State, by the way, is a top five potential national champion winner on the FCS level. They went to Oklahoma State. And should have beat Oklahoma State last year. They lost what? by seven. They went to North Dakota State last year and lost by seven. This team is brought 17 starters back. They had 10 FBS transfers. Petrino, whatever you think of them, has this program completely mm. turned around. They've gone to the FCS playoffs two years in a row. The mm. 30 years prior, zero times. Ooh. Arkansas, go look at Arkansas' schedule the next five games. They're coming off an SEC win in Cincinnati. Their next five weeks, Texas A&M neutral. Alabama at home, at Mississippi State, at Auburn. Mm. I mean, is it a joke? Like, they four of the next five on the road, too, they're already dealing with a ton of injuries. They Mm. can't stop a nosebleed. Mm. There's no Jalen Catalan. Missouri State has one of the best Mm. FCS receivers in the country. Missouri State. And, by the way, Pittman, Sammy Covers. Yes, sir. Yes, he covers, but he has no interest in wanting to blow this out. It's going to get up, make sure that they stay healthy. Missouri State will be under, underwhelmed in the trench, but Missouri State, Bears, Bears, Bears. The other one, another top five team, Oregon State, similar situation. They have USC on deck, then Utah. They're coming off a big win at Fresno. They host Montana State top five team in FCS. The problem is here, and these coaches have a lot of respect for each other. They go way back, a lot of ties. I don't think that Smith's going to want – Jonathan Smith, their head coach, is going to want, run, run it up. But Montana State, bigger plans – want to win the national title. They're down to like their fourth string running back. Their quarterbacks are dealing with injuries. Their cornerbacks have a deal with injuries. So I don't know how much they try to go at this. So that might be like a second half under look. Uh, so, but yeah, Missouri state, Missouri state, Missouri no, state. No, no, no. All right. Let's, let's, all right. Let, let me put down the helmet next to my Scotty Thurman Jersey. All right. You and I might have to stop being friends until what nine o'clock on Saturday night. Listen, it's getting the main screen. 
<laughs> Listen, Missouri State has around 40 transfers from FBS. They are a very good FCS team. They are going to contend for the FCS championship. They're going to make the playoffs. They should make the semifinals. They're going to win it. I get it. Uh, they're led by quarterback Jason Shelley, former of Utah. Uh, yep. Ty Scott is their big wide receiver that came in from Central Michigan. Son. I get it. They just come off a five-point win against a Tennessee Martin team that's power rated about the same as them. Struggle a little bit in Conway against Central Arkansas. But Looking ahead to this spot. Hold on. Hold on. Sam Pittman, or Sammy Covers, as we like to call him here, was asked about Bobby Petrino. He said, Coach Petrino did a really good job while he was here. We'd like to thank him for his time and his service while he was here on campus. Uh, he did some really good things. And then there was a smile at the end of that. And if you don't think that Sam Pittman doesn't know that we want to beat the absolute hell out of Bobby Petrino because our program went into like an eight-year funk. John L. Smith, Chad Morris. Might throw John Pelfrey in there. No, I'm kidding. That's basketball. But it, we just went into a terrible funk, which got to love the sound clip of me saying blow up the program. I think that was after the North Texas run back. Woo pig suey. Absolute dumpster fire, dumpster fire. I don't know how we win a game the rest of the year. Just blow the program up. Give us a death sentence. Collins talking Razorback football. Uh, Sam Pittman understands what this means to the fan base. I know that we have a look headline to SEC, but he understands what this means to the boosters, to the fan base, to Hunter Juracek, who had to come in and clean up Jeff Long's mess. So to play devil's advocate, they they have a terrible, terrible defense. They cannot defend Raheem Sanders. They cannot defend KJ Jefferson. And I'm not out here saying that, you know, Arkansas is going to play the entire way, but Sam Pittman is going to know. He's going to risk right before the the hardest five game schedule. In the entire country, look, he's gonna he's gonna risk more injuries from an already injured team. Nobody to beat Missouri State. Go Hogs. Nobody on Missouri State can injure us. They're they're too small on defense. I'm not even worried about it. But when you talk about look ahead lines, you need to look at Missouri State's schedule. They play the Jacks. They got South Dakota State the following week. They're gonna be an underdog by like eight, nine points. If Petrino was smart, he'd come down. You know, shake hands, try to get a date with somebody on the volleyball team, go back up to Springfield and get ready for a game that really matters for the FCS championship game. All right. So listen, well, you think Pittman, if he's smart, he would do the same thing. No. The problem is the difference is I'll be catching a shit ton of points with Missouri State. And Pittman I won't have to, not want to with walk. Arkansas. Pittman does not want to walk into a media room after Bobby Petrino gave this team a scare. There is no chance in hell a former coach that took our team to the Sugar Bowl comes in and rocks him and his team. It's not going to happen. We will keep our foot on the pedal. All right. Now, the number Missouri State out Sagarin right. or SP plus Sagarin or SP plus makes it 26. All right. And I'm just going to say this right now. I don't care what the number is. I, I've got alerts on when it comes out. I'm hitting it. Follow or I don't I don't care. I'm playing. Arkansas. I'll wait for you to hit it and then I'll get 28 and hit it. Um, That's fine. You're telling me you're going to hit it. I'm hitting it. Arkansas all I'll the be, way. I'll be, on, I'll be on Missouri State. Missouri State. Get, Petrino. Send Petrino back up I-44. Get him back Petrino up I-44. I don't care. He should go on his Harley. Get out of town. He's going to be riding out of Fayetteville with confetti and on his motorcycle. It's raining down on him. Have fun uh, at the downstream that, casino, my friend. Back to Springfield, Mo. Let's move on to our next segment. Before we get out of here, we have to go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. All right, let's start with uh, our favorite bet of the week. I'll start at Buffalo plus 14. Anything two touchdowns or above. I wrote this one up 
if you look at my article previewing a bunch of games earlier this week, this line has come down a bit. Buffalo was 14-point underdogs at home last week, last year, and again, they lost by three. Coastal Carolina was good last year. Coastal Carolina stinks this year. That's the difference. The difference in, in, in I think, just the perception of these two teams is Buffalo last week lost to Holy Cross, who's arguably a top 10 FCS team. They also got Hail Mary. But, you know, and then they played Maryland week one. Coastal Carolina has not looked good at all. They beat Gardner-Webb as a sub-average FCS team, and they got thoroughly outplayed. They got over 600 yards of offense. Coastal Carolina can't stop anyone through the air. The run defense has been decent. But Buffalo will be able to move the ball through the area. They have major revenge. They're 0-2 going up against a 2-0 fraud coastal team. They also saw this offense last year, and it's a very complex coastal offense, a lot of moving pieces. That experience and prep will help. Coastal with you know conference play on deck. They're 2-0. They escaped last week. This is way too many points for a Buffalo team that should be improved. You got to remember Buffalo's situation last year with a new coach that got in there late. It was just a mess. And uh, I think they'll really want this game for that home loss last year. This is way too many points uh, against the coastal def- a completely rebuilding rebuilt coastal team outside of the quarterback. Grace McCall is excellent, but he can only do so much. Buffalo should keep up here. I'll give you the bulls plus 14 or better. How about you? Where are you going favorite bet? I really wanted to go rice, but I'm going to pivot off and take Fresno, a team we already talked about here on the podcast. Stanford had four turnovers against USC, two in their first two drives that ended in points for USC, and they just could not come back from that. But that doesn't mean that the trees didn't go up and down the field with Tanner McKee. USC defense is now 66th in defensive finishing drives. They allow 3.5 points every time an opponent gets into scoring territory, which has been 10 times so far this year against Rice and Stanford's offenses. Florida State is fourth in stuffing the run. Uh, That's impressive after going up against Oregon State. Uh, Jordan Mims has had some explosive runs. Uh, I expect him to have some more. Uh, What he did to the Beavers, he can easily do to the Trojans' defense. Uh, That's going to be able to extend possessions. They're going to be able to control the line of scrimmage. Fresno against USC. Listen, we got to keep Caleb Williams off the field, but Fresno can go toe-to-toe in the scoring. Give me the plus 12 and a half. Love it. Uh, All right, let's move on to second down, our favorite favorite. It's called the overdog parlay. And um, last week, we're three and one on the year on these. Last week, I had my boy Holt Nailers. That's got to be the best part I've ever seen. So it would seem. We got to the window for me. Colin had played 17 and a half with Graham Mertz, unfortunately. Hopefully, he learned from his mistake because I didn't, because boys were laying 23 with Iowa. I don't tell you what to do with your money. Don't fucking tell me what to do with mine, okay? Instantly, I regret saying that. That was a horrible thing to say. I love y'all very much. Iowa minus 23 is my favorite favorite, a team that can't score more than six. We are laying over three touchdowns with uh, Ed Kinnick. Look, this is just a pure buy low spot. After everyone's just been shitting on Iowa for two weeks, I show a ton of value in the summer. I'm also super low on Nevada. Nevada gave up over 300 yards of offense to New Mexico State. Nevada just gave up 55 points to Incarnate Word. It was a good FCS offense, but they can't stop a nosebleed. They also are – their offense, which is completely rebuilt, they rely on running the ball. You can't run the ball in Iowa. Iowa is going to score on turnovers. They're going to score on special teams where they'll have massive advantages, and there's huge regression coming for both on Nevada. Nevada leads – the nation in turnovers forced through three games and they've played junk. And you know what Iowa usually never does is turn the ball over. You know what Nevada 
also leads the country in opponent penalties. Nevada's opponents have had averaged 100 penalty yards per game through three games. I mean, it is insane. And then the, the fluke turnovers, the penalties, and they're playing just complete horrible teams. Iowa should get the offense going a little bit here. And if Spencer Peters can't do anything in the beginning, they're going to be a quick hook quarterback change. But we've seen Iowa in the past against teams that can't defend, which is Nevada. When, think when they went to Maryland and they put up a 50 spot. There's regression coming for this Nevada defense. Iowa's trenches should finally look better. They're just getting all kinds of hate throughout the week. They should want to lay it on here. They might get here on defensive scores alone against this Nevada offense. Give me Iowa minus 23. I don't think Nevada scores without flukes. And I think Iowa can get the 28 here, even if it takes 14 safeties. Give me the Hawkeyes. Yeah, I'm going to roll into Georgia for, for my favorite overdog. Uh, you know, this South- you got tired of going Graham Mertz. You're like, I'm Georgia, tired of Graham Mertz. I'm going to go with an offense I actually trust that all of a sudden has decided they want to play up tempo and be exclusive on offense since the defense was supposed to take a step back, but I don't think that they have. Uh, so backing Georgia, I, I mean, this is a game I project well over the number that it's at right now. You can see that in the steam that's hitting it. Uh, this is one of those games where uh, it could be seven possessions and seven touchdowns to start the game. And really, it's a fate of South Carolina. I said that this is the worst trench in the SEC. They're going to give Vanderbilt a run for their money. But a couple other stats you should pay attention to. Right now, South Carolina is outside the top 100 in tackling. They are 121st in havoc allowed. That means they're allowing too many tackles for loss. They're allowing too many sacks. Most of their, you know, they've had interceptions. They've had PBUs go against them. This South Carolina team is absolutely lost, and Spencer Rattler is going to have a hard time escaping pressure, and that's going to turn into mistakes. I'm taking Georgia as my favorite overdog. Be careful, Georgia fans. Last time you were favored by 24 over South Carolina, early October 2019, South Carolina wins outright, 20-17 to 17 in double overtime. So I don't know how that happened. But the last two years, 45-16 and 40-13 to 13 for what it's worth. All right, let's – Move on to one final order of business, and that's our underdog money line parlay. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the money line parlay. Uh, I'm going SMU here. Uh, I think this team I talked about this earlier in the week is still not being properly accounted for in the market. Uh, I think this game, I actually make them a tiny, tiny favorite here. It's probably a coin flip. So you're going to give me plus 125, plus 130, and what should be a shootout. Lots of points here. It's like last one with the ball probably wins this game. So I don't love love a ton of underdogs this week to win outright. Struggling to find a round robin options, like five. So I'm probably going to have a lot of favorites in my round robin, like small favorites. Mm -hmm. Your Washingtons, your Oregons. Um, But uh, SMU will definitely be in there. Uh, Give me the Stangs. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to go to a 2021 favorite. I'm going to take Western Kentucky to win outright against Indiana. The Western Kentucky Hilltoppers, the pride of the Commonwealth. Oh, no. Oh, no. Hell no, boy. Y'all done up and done it. Oh, no. Hell no, boy. Y'all done up and done it. Uh, nothing Indiana has done so far has made me believe that they're going to be able to contend in their own conference. Meanwhile, Western Kentucky is still running the same offense that they had last year post Bailey Zappi era. 
think the one big mismatch in this game is the fact that Western Kentucky is number one in the nation in pass blocking. Indiana is 114th in generating a pass rush and even worse are outside the top 100 in coverage grading. Uh, and then when you look at the other side of the ball, Indiana's offense has been completely lifeless. They pass more than they have actually run the ball, but neither of them have been with success. They're still trying to find an identity on offense. That's going to continue throughout the season. Uh, you know, a very fast paced game. And that suits Western Kentucky. So look for Western Kentucky to have time, clean pockets, and hit explosive plays all day. I like the mill toppers. All right, there you have it. <clears throat> Make sure that you – I mean, look, we have covered Friday Night Lights, five marquee games, about 10 to 12 others, all under an hour and a half. We appreciate all of you listening. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe. Leave a review. By the way, if there's any five-star reviews out there, producer, you want to give giveaways to? Sure thing, Stuck. Selected a winner here with the subject Best College Football Podcast. Uh, the guy's username is Chuck Q1 with four K's, three Q's, and four ones. These fucking names. Uh, anyway, Chuck, just email podcasts at actionnetwork.com to claim your prize. Thanks for listening. Oh, and by the way, a group of five podcast, which episodes are already out. They love SMU as well. Uh, make sure you check that out. Shout to BetMGM, our sponsor. We will be back early next week, Monday morning, to recap the week, preview some Thursday games, and look ahead to next week. We also have the new BCS show with myself, Colin, and Brett McMurphy that comes out on Tuesday mornings. Loved how that went last week. It's going to be like 20 to 30 minutes. Just shooting the shit, little betting talk here and there, and just all, overall college football cooler talk. Uh, big bets on campus live. Saturday mornings, 10.30 a.m. Eastern, we'll go over the card and give our best bets. Also make sure, shameless plug, Action Network podcast, myself and Chris Rabon preview the NFL card each week. That's out there. Crushed it last week. Hopefully we can crush it again this week. I appreciate all of you listening. Thanks to Colin, as always. Thanks to our audio and video team on the back end. Appreciate all of you listening, and we will catch y'all later. Cheers. Peace out. Peace out.